Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. It is uh, 10 p.m. You know what? Let me turn this off just to be on safe side. There we are. How are you? Hi, everyone. It's 10 p.m. It is uh, the 15th of January, 2022, uh, 10 p.m. East Coast time anyway. My name is Luke Thomas. I am uh, one half of Morning Combat. Uh, this is our UFC Vegas 46 post-fight show. Um, I will do this for about 30 45 minutes or so. Um, I have a, I should have put it up on this one. I didn't think to do it. I have a tweet up. It's not at this one. It's at, at L Thomas news. Um, you can put a question in there. We'll get to it at the end of the program. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the main event. There's not a whole lot to get to beyond the main event quite candidly, but actually a lot to talk about in that main event. Just a remarkable one to start the year off. Uh, UFC's first main event of the year, very, very good. And and uh, Michael Bisping had a word for it. Inspirational was one of the th- things he says. I don't think that's an exaggeration or wrong. I, I quite agree with him. Uh, a lot to say. So, thumbs up on the video, please. I'm assuming there's sound. Jesus Christ, if there's not, well, <laughs> then there's not. Um, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe if you are new here. Yes? Or if you've been around and you've not subscribed at this point, do me a solid. Throw me a subscribe. Yeah. Okay. Um, with that out of the way, let's talk about it. Let me pull the results up here. Okay. And by the way, I'm assuming if you're watching this, you don't mind that there are spoilers or whatever the fuck at this point. Okay. Okay. So if you don't want spoilers now, it's time to go. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. All right. This was UFC, whatever you want to call it, Fight Night, um, Cater versus Chikadze, UFC Vegas 46, UFC whatever, whatever. Uh, took place at the Apex facility, quite obviously, and Calvin Cater defeats Giga Chikadze 50-45, 50-45, 50-44, and frankly, I'm not sure that that's, that's wrong. I wasn't scoring in real time, so I can't exactly co-sign on it, but when I first heard it, I was a little bit surprised, but then I was like... No, not necessarily, um, especially the way, like, the, the, the truly dominant ending. It had a little bit of that Adesanya Gastelum vibe of, of think, the, the fifth round of that contest when he really began to take over, nearly secured the finish. It was something cu- cu- close to that. Um, whether it's 50-45 or 50-44 is really not the point, actually. The point is much different than that which is i have to tell you this is one of the this is you the sport is just constantly remarkable man 
It's constantly remarkable. That's really, you know, a lot of people fall in and out of love <laughs> uh, with you and also with MMA. But but you, you know what I'm saying? Like they have these real like passionate um, uh, relationships with MMA and they kind of burn out on them. And I'm always like, man, if you just stick around and just kind of ride it out, you, you, you begin to realize that you have not seen it all. It is relentlessly surprising. It is not that I thought that Calvin Cater's career was somehow done or something like that. I don't mean to suggest that. But obviously, I don't think it's irrational or wrong to have, at a, at a mere minimum, curiosity about how he's going to look subsequent to, dude, one of the most historic beatings I've ever seen. Now, I mean, I've seen uh, people injured worse than that, so it's not the worst beating in that sense where it was like the most gruesome, um, but certainly one of the more prolonged ones. I mean, it was it was a show. Whether you, whether you want to say you've seen someone get hurt more in the process, perhaps, but certainly we can all agree in UFC history, it's a bad one. It's a really bad one. And, and uh, you know, Chael Sonnen was the one who has really been actually, I think, pretty uh, correct and um, steady about reminding people. It's not just that people get injured more in a five-round versus a three-round. Quite obviously, there's two more rounds, right? You're going to get more. But that the rate of injury is, like, exponential in those championship round moments. Now, to what extent that's been measured and verified, I don't know. But the outcomes certainly feel that way after the fact, right? Like, I mean, that was fucking brutal. First of all, Calvin Cater's broken his nose a million times. Looks like, and I've had him uh, on my various shows through the years, and I've talked to him. Like, he's talked about all the flights he's been on where his nose has been broken, and like all the pressure from you know changing atmospheres has fucked him up, and and how awful it is, and you know. Having to breathe through like a like a KN95 mask the whole time through your mouth when you can't it's just it's just you know it can, it can be a nightmare a little like he broke it again a little like he broke it again which I was just like oh poor guy man fuck that is a that's gonna be another shitty flight home you know what I mean breathing through your mouth um and then Giga Chikadze dude what can you say gee Lord have mercy. These guys continue to impress me, dude. Just when you, I'm telling you, man, just when you think like the bar of what is just so routine at this point and what is so excellent is so high. Again, we've had this conversation a million times. I understand MMA fatigue. I certainly understand MMA overload. Um, but when you just kind of learn to surf at a steady medium like I've done, um, you just begin to realize that, like, you know, at that, in the way in which I am consuming it, 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 you just see just these routine demonstrations of excellence. Excellence in what? Certainly occupational specialties, jiu-jitsu and kickboxing. You saw a little bit of that tonight in certain respects. Um, but in, in Giga Chikadze's case, which is what we're talking about here, that dude is, I mean, I really hate the, fuck, I'm, fuck, me and my team, we're built different. Like, yes, you know. I bet, I bet, I bet you're different in all kinds of ways. Uh, I really don't like it, but then you know it is sort of, it is sort of to the point, right? It's it's like intent. It's you know marketing has turned into this sort of like ambiguous catch-all kind of fun statement of you know excellence and defiance and a few other things, but it, it, you know, it, it, dude, these some of these guys at the world class level, I just don't think folks understand. Let me explain something. In the in the Holloway fight with Cater, 
you'll get people who walk into a gym and begin to spar at some point, whether early or middle or late within, let's say, a six to nine to a year, uh, nine month to a year long period. They'll take 1% of 1% of one, I mean, a 1% of nothing, right? They, uh, to the nth degree of what Cater took in that fight with Holloway. And they'll go out of the gym and you'll never see him again. Uh, this is routine. This is routine. Like, when you look at the spectrum of what tough looks like, like, you know, it's, uh, if, this is what I mean, man. You ever truly, I've had, I've audited it, man. I've audited it, you know. Have you ever really truly audited how tough you are? Like, truly ever audited it, you know. I've tr- I've tried, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get the highest remarks out there. So that's reserved for folks like Giga Chikadze. Um, Didn't get the worst scores, you know. Somewhere in a happy, in a, in, in a happy medium. But I at least know, man, I know. You know, I know what the difference is between between some of these groups, man. I've seen it, I've lived it, you know, and and there's been some sorting that has happened, you know, and you, and you you can, it's it's unmistakable when it happens, dude. Giga Chikazi is fucking built different, man. That dude is tough as shit, and Calvin Cater is too. He is tough physically. He is tough mentally, dude. Both of those guys. That was a, just a declaration of grittiness from both it was just fucking remarkable like this is what i mean like it's a random saturday i don't even know how many people are watching this shit there's probably a lot of mk fans are like oh luke's doing a post fight show for this fuck that fight card skipped it you know routine excellence and the if you can find the right the the right way of length to get it and these two guys just it I, i tweeted about it i you know these are the kind of fights i haven't gotten to the specifics of it yet we'll get into it these are the kind of fights where you're just watching in the middle of it, and you're like, fuck, man, I hope these guys are getting paid. You know? <laughs> I just, I, I don't know if anyone else is that way. If you are, you're like me. If not, I, I'm not, you know, everyone's, I'm not judging. Everyone's their own way, you know? But that's just a natural thing that comes to my mind. I'm watching Giga Chikazi get hit with, you know, spinning back elbows in the fifth, landing with the sound. You know, I don't know what the medical diagnosis is, but it sounded like his face shattered. When it landed, and you're just like, and he stands and stumbles, and then you know is once more into the fucking breach. You know, you're just like, dude, what are they getting paid, man? What are they getting paid? I don't. I'm not gonna make this a huge hallmark or a hallmark, excuse me, of today's review of the results. Don't worry, I will not be on a soapbox about it. But I'm just being, I'm leveling with the with with the with the audience here. I'm watching this. I'm just going, fuck. I, 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 I'm, I'm look. I'm gonna see if there's gonna be Wolves in Nevada to even share payouts anymore. I guess they don't, but you know, which is another problem with the Apex is obviously great in many respects because we get lots of MMA, but because Nevada has changed the rules, we actually get a lot less information than we once got. Um, so if they were on the road and in California more, we would have more information about this. But you know, I guess we'll see what happens. But anyway, um, sensational contest, uh, and let's talk about Calvin Cater. Um, I, 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 I said before, he's got Michael Bisping's spirit to, to, to take a beating like that. And then, you know, that long trip home and then you got to heal from everything that happened. And I'm sure, you know, he, he, he's going to heal probably, um, better than a lot of us might, but nevertheless, that's just a lot of abuse, man. It's a ton, 
you know, and 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 a stinging rebuke of the placement between you and and uh, you know, and by, by his own acknowledgement, the uncrowned king of the of the division. That's a lot to come back from psychologically, dude. People should not take that for granted. They should not. He makes it look like it's just fucking ordinary. It's like having a friend who could just walk over fire and not get burned. You'd be like, dude, everyone can do that shit. No, 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 no. He can do that shit. You dumbasses cannot. Like Calvin Cater can do that shit. You dumbasses cannot. People, it's just the the the, uh, the level of conviction, self-assuredness, appetite for brutality. Frankly, is uh, is is on another level. So how did he do it? Uh, as I meander around here, I'm just pointing out, like you know. What he what what the what the abuse that these guys tolerated more so obviously Giga Chikaze tonight but certainly you know what they are coming from what he dished out tonight people would take one percent of one percent of one percent of one percent of that and never show up at the gym again they will, you'll never see him again and these guys just do the most elevated version of that and you know it, it is it is utterly remarkable okay so how did Calvin Cater do it let me pull up the fight metric numbers while I situate myself let's see here. Should have had him up beforehand. Sorry about that, y'all. All right. So we will orient ourselves uh, at the beginning of this discussion around the numbers here. So how does it look? Okay. I'm assuming these are final. Again, the the, the numbers on the broadcast are typically uh, not great uh, as a reliable indicator of the final numbers. So these are the final numbers. Obviously, a lot of uh, grappling in the first round. Uh, from Calvin Cater, dude, he right away, man, just setting the tone with intensity. Chikazi slips on a kick, and he didn't just go for the takedown, dude. He pursued that takedown with, you know, absolute overzealousness. And, and in that way, what I mean is like dogged determination to get it high elevation. Like there was no way he was going to let that opportunity pass, and he didn't, and he secured it. It was remarkable. So not a lot of striking per uh, per se. Um, there was a little bit of, you know, sort of minor work from Calvin Cater, but uh, we'll talk about the defensive grappling and the grappling um, overall in just a second. Second round, uh, this is where, I've, you know, it's sort of, um, uh, no, not quite. Second round, Chikadze landed more, 28 strikes to, excuse me, 38 strikes to 28 strikes. It turns in the third numerically. This is not indicator of the qualitative difference, just numerical. Um, 25 to 22, that's when Cater takes the lead. Then round four was, was um, uh, and round five, 36 to 28 in round four, and then 51 to 32 in round five. Um, also, he is credited with a takedown. Calvin Cater is in the first and the second, two of seven overall, with a control time of three minutes and 42 seconds. Great, great work uh, from Calvin Cater in... Just sort of positionally staying one step ahead of uh, Chikadze on the mat, maintaining position, flowing with things, um, letting the other guy work through him a little bit harder as he kind of rolled through to stay dominant on top, making careful, good decisions about how to maintain, you know, not just a dominant position, but a dominant position where uh, if you're going to really commit to it, you've committed to it because it's safe. You've it's fully properly secured, and if not, you know, making a little bit more careful choices about it. You know, navigating the choppy waters in that way expertly. Uh, and you know, Chikaze was was constantly looking for some way around this, for some way through this. And Calvin Cater, I think, 
you know, no, no one's control was perfect, but it was a strong start for him in part because now Chikadze has been, you know, had to grapple for a round, right? Which is not like, you know, oh, now he's all of a sudden Superman without his powers. He is still quite formidable, but it is at least a little bit of work you have put them. It is a round you have put him through where it's not the front half of the second where you're going to feel it unless they're really out of shape, but you might start feeling it at the back half of the second sometimes, right? Sometimes that shows up, and sure enough, it did in this one, too. I thought you, we did see some of that show up at the back half. But um, what what Cater did was essential about this, and we, we are essential to this. We, we talked about this on – I talked about this on Friday's um, show slash chat. I did not see a way plausibly – I mean, yes, theoretically, of course, but plausibly, I did not see a way for Cater to win if it did not involve strictly backing up at all times uh, Giga Chikadze, right? It's the old Fedor versus Crow Cop game plan. If you're facing a lot of different kinds of opponents, but in this particular case and in that one referentially from the historical note I'm, I'm making here, if you have someone that is sort of kicking dominant Crow Cop, or in this case Giga Chikadze, really putting them on their heels uh, makes life difficult for them. One that is exhausting, right, to constantly be backing up because they really need their space and their timing to set and throw, um, even though they, you know, they can throw it efficiently and economically. Like They don't need a ton of room, but they need some if you put them under a constant pressure, it becomes very difficult for them. So it's taxing to do that. And two, it just sort of offensively mutes them. And then they began to have to trade strictly on hands. And, and that's when the problems began to, to, to sort of right, become visible. Um, between that and also you notice there was really patient um, footwork from both of them. Calvin Cater doing a lot, not just sort of forward pressure, which was key, right? So he... Under what conditions was he going to work behind the jab one and forward pressure? Those are the two ones that we talked uh, we talked about on on Friday's show, and I think you saw a lot of that here. Now began to show that he needed a lot more after the jab got cooking, and they were just sort of openly trading at that point. The jab doesn't lose its value, but it takes on a different role in that kind of environment and and scenario. Um, still valuable, but differently valuable. Anyway. Point being is uh, that was one where Cater was just going to win over time anyway. So you have this exhausting pressure. You have this pressure that takes away these weapons because you're inside of this kicking range. You have this offensively, you know, sort of muted scenario that this guy is under. And he just begins to work it over time. He would follow with the footwork where he would sometimes, some of it what he was doing to um, take away uh, weapons. Obviously, they talked about switching stances to avoid getting hit with the giga kick to the liver. Um, but there could be other reasons why he would switch from taking, you know, hard uh, calf kicks. Which, by the way, he got away from those because Cater was really on on him on his putting him on his heels constantly. It's it's sort of like the old Edson Barboza approach, right? You know, Edson Barboza can be you know insanely formidable in the right circumstance, even against a great fighter opposite him. But the, you know, it's just been shown that like you know easier said than done but a a real pressure-based approach just how it yields um positive results certainly more than any other game plan against him it's it, it seems that at least for now at this point in giga chikazi's journey he is susceptible to the same kinds of things although it should be noted it's not like any bum off the street can just pull this off that is in no way what i am suggesting what i am suggesting though is at the remember, I think Cater was sitting at five in the division in terms of ranking, and Giga eight. And again, you can always quibble with the, the exact placement, but that does speak to a little bit of where they were. I agree that generally there is a little bit more seniority and 
um, Cater had done better work to be ranked to that point. I felt that that was appropriate. Um, and and you know it was it was man that was manifested here. I think you saw there was a, there was a bit of a difference there, and um, for him to do it off the heels of that kind of a beating is, man, whew. <laughs> I just keep shaking my head because it, it's they make it look. So, I just can never get over how routine they make it look, man. It, it's it's the it's like it's just a, it's like a magic show, you know. Like <laughs> these are the magicians that actually do solve people in half, though. It's like it's fucking wild. I apologize if I loudly swallowed on the microphone. I didn't mean to. Um, let's look at some of the uh, targeting. Jesus Christ, whoo! Calvin Cater, 88% targeting to the head, just 9% to the body, 2% to the leg. There is a story about the way Calvin Cater fights and uses kicking, but it's it's not a significant... I think most would agree it's not a significant component to the way he fights. It has a role, but it's a fairly minor one. By contrast, Giga Chikadze, as you could understand, going to the body, right, with the Giga kick and to the leg and everything else, um, 21%. But even that, I would say, is low relative to what he probably wanted. I bet he probably wanted, I don't know if he put a numerical threshold on it, but I'm guessing a little bit more than what he ultimately got, let's say. Went to the head 73%. And then, of course, as you can imagine, most of the fight in terms of striking took place at distance versus the clinch and the ground. Man, what? and, and by the way, I should also note that Cater, to end round five the way he did, you know, with this, uh, uh, I won't say last minute, but, you know, this uh, triumphant, emphatic uh, declaration of, uh, you know, basically victory, but without the stoppage in, you know, in uh, official time in that fifth round, right, where, you know, Giga gets knocked down and the whole thing is almost kind of over, you know, before the before the time expires. I mean, that is such a... Dude, good for Calvin Cater. This business is tough enough and bullshit enough and hard enough. And, dude, I mean, just look at, look at the last 10 rounds of Calvin Cater's life. I mean, I knew, you know, you, you, you well, these guys have to know that, like, this occupation carries significant health hazards and risks and difficulties and the like. But, like, you know, the last 10 rounds that Calvin Cater's had to fight have been just the most brutal world war one trench warfare slog man and you lose long stretches of it and you win long stretches of it but either way dude you come out with the fucking meat grinder on the other side man it's just <laughs> I, I i i apologize i know there's gonna be people he's fucking sounding like a broken record you're right i am i apologize I, you're right but i just it's just it's just the 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 routineness is um, it's remarkable to witness. You wish it was compensated with the riches that it is owed, and you are humbled by the ability to watch something like that and share the joy, uh, as well as some of the misapprehend or the I should say the apprehensions about it. Um, along with it, it's a complicated joy. Fighting is a complicated joy, right? Is that not a fair and you know? Ultimately, almost like nothing statement, but enough to be true. It's 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 a complicated joy. It's an engrossing joy uh, as 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 well. Um, 
that's why we're here. Um, so what can we say else about this? Um, oh, I did have another thought. It's something I've been sort of toying with for some time. If you've heard me just, dis- oh, two more thoughts actually. Um, well, actually, that one's about a different one. Uh, but this one. Calvin Cater and Max Holloway are very, very different fighters, right? Different in, in style and and in, in many important respects. But there's a lot of things that unite them, too. These are guys who typically do the, their best and most work in boxing range. You just heard me describe the numbers of Calvin Cater and where he's sort of, I mean, headhunting in general, but... You know, you can sort of look at how many of those are kicks. It's 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 not many, right? So this is a guy who does his work in a very similar kind of way in that respect. And what I have noted is, you know, another guy like this is Adrian Yanez, in, insanely talented, a d- delight to watch. Seems like a wonderful guy. Um, s- same thing here, Calvin Cater. I've interviewed him. Seems like the nicest dude uh, on planet Earth. But that style, it is even on the winning end of things, man. It's a bit of a blood and gut style, man. You know, it's it, 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 when you get guys like that, and they they not only tend to um, f- they they tend to be like the more cerebral versions of it. And you know, Yanez is quite bright, and, and Max Holloway quite bright, and Calvin Cater quite bright. They tend to have this influencing role on the fight itself, right? They 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 have this ability to, and then the best fighters do to define the fight on their terms. Well, their terms are trading in these boxing ranges and in angles and scenarios, and again, they get the best of it usually by a long shot. But nevertheless, it just involves being in in a place where contact is not just going to be inevitable, but frankly, f- frequent. It will be frequent. Um, you know, I don't know how long that style is. I, of all the styles in MMA that keep you in it the longest, I would not put that one at the top of the list. Uh, it seems to me that you get some of the, our brightest and most talented A-plus fighters that I'm excited about, you're excited about, we're all excited about. I do question, yeah, again, all the shots are of, you know, questionable um, damage, certainly. Some are quite pronounced obviously some some are not but nevertheless it's just the 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 amount of just traffic is overwhelming i guess is what i would say there's just a traffic of um strikes that is i think i were i worry anyway i worry that it will cause problems the other one was one of the other fights on the card i think was it the co-main i don't even know if it was the co-main um no, it's not the co-main. I'll come back to that. I don't have a ton of thoughts about the Caitlin Chukagan and Jennifer Maya fight. Uh, although Chukagan, it's a great win for her. These are, I think, top five fighters in their division. I don't have the rankings in front of me, but I think they're either there or pretty close to it. Certainly, they've both fought for the title. So we're talking about, you know, um, the preeminent side of the women's flyweight division. And Chukagan just was better overall, 30-27 across the board. Um even in the grappling department, she was able to be the kind of one in control. A little like uh, Maya wanted to do a little bit more, I won't say brawling, but a little bit more, you know, Chukagi was able to work at range when she had to, but it was also great in, in the grappling scenarios as well. But the thing that caught my attention was not really any of those things, even though you we, we should acknowledge this is a great win by, by Chukagian, is that... Um, and I'm sure someone else has said this before me. I don't in any way suggest 
that like I'm sure some of you have noticed this and probably tweeted about it and shared it. So I am no way am like, oh, uh, I made this grand discovery. It's not what I mean, but something occurred to me today, however late. The first wave of uh, in the modern era of wrestling best practices, like when people were like, oh, this is how you wrestle in MMA. When there was enough body of work, uh, there was a teachable skill set that was pretty effective for most people in most fights, even at the UFC level. In that, in that modern era, and in who was coming into the sport and influencing some of those things, a lot of collegiate wrestling, obviously, you see where there was some Olympic influence, but it was generally leg attacks. It was. I mean, of course, there are exceptions. Early on, there was the Raw team with Rico Ciparelli and and Randy Couture, and then it turned into parts of that turned into Team Quest. And you had Matt Linlin, and a lot of those guys had the Greco background. Of course, there's there's Rulon Gardner. Even there's always been a Greco influence. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I am saying is, in terms of the routine wrestling scenarios that you're seeing in MMA now, right? Uh, typically along the fence line, I'd have to go back and look and. Think about this a little bit more, but typically along the fence line. But there, it's upper body wrestling. the The first wave of best practices was all leg attacks, and you know, or predominantly leg attacks. This new wave is that, but um, I think because fence wrestling has become such a like, dude, it's hard. If, if someone stands in front of you turns to the side, splits their base, and is good about, like, head pressure and, like, underhooking. Dude, you, you know, unless you're Habib or some shit, you're not going to get him off the, the – you're not going to get him down. It's not going to go for you, you know. No, it's not going to work. So what are you going to do? Like, there's – but, but but like, upper body clinching, it turns out that actually can be pretty powerful in part because we've talked about this, locked hands. Dude, lock, there was another fight. We'll talk about that one too, the uh, – was it the Bontarin and Brandon Royville fight? I mean, part of the reason that we got kind of close to was Bontarin, you know, you can question what he was doing with it from a punishment standpoint, but he's got locked hands. You know, with these locked hand scenarios, man, you could just ride them out for long periods of time. And um, anyway, you get the idea. I'm just sort of pointing out that, um, I don't know where the fuck I lost my train of thought. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Who gives a shit? It's ten thirty-eight uh, on a on a on a Saturday night, and I'm drinking water. Mm. I forget where I was going with this. Um, doesn't really matter. Okay, Jake Collier versus Chase Sherman. You know, people want to hate on Jake Collier and uh, and fat shame the guy. Looks to me like he's got, I mean, you know, listen, uh, is this the most optimal condition to be in athletically um, for his career prospects? It certainly doesn't, That is, this doesn't seem likely, but he certainly looked great tonight, right? He looked great. You don't, don't want to deny that. His his hands look good. Forward pressure was overwhelming. Um, he, he Again, he had Chase Sherman on the back foot. This is just sort of another scenario where the same kind of thing went in there. And, you know, the grappling was good, too. Like, there was a clear difference in the grappling. Like, Chase Sherman was, you know, you could see him pressing. And then his, his like, half guard just comes wide open as he's pressing because he's not wrestling in that moment anyway. Like, again, this is not in any way suggesting I or you could do better just watching what happens. Like, just think about it, man. If if someone passes your guard, you failed to do something correctly. Someone takes your back, you failed to do something correctly. 
So you had the just vicious ground and pound because he had moved to mount. And uh, he moved to mount effortlessly. He put pressure right on top of him. You, you see Sherman essentially pin himself underneath when his guard gets put like that. And then Collier just uses that pressure on top to just ride essentially into three-quarter mount and then full mount. And then he just absolutely hammered him through the canvas after that. He turned over and then he got the tap. It's great work. For a co-main event between two guys at heavyweight who, you know, are not at the top of the division, that's uh, that's a best-case scenario. Fans should be grateful to Jake Collier. So, you know, um, yeah, good for him. Great win. Brandon Royville defeating Rogerio Bontarin. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, there's a controversy in the in the um, in the third about the tapping. Did he tap? Uh, there's two competing theories basically. In real time, I thought he did. Okay. Um, upon review, I'm less certain, but leaning towards that. I asked people to make an argument to me about which way they felt about it. Did he tap? Did he not? To the armbar, and people were split. There were sensible arguments that were given to me from either side. And by the way, it should be noted, many of the people who say he did tap were in the black belt slash um, training officiating crew side of things, right? So these are not you know amateurs or something like that. That doesn't mean that they automatically get like, well, we just defer to them. But, you know, these are not people who are unaccustomed to watching this kind of stuff. And um, the the basically the two arguments are, one is, did he remove his hand from being trapped to tap and then regret it once there was a slightly different feeling? Perhaps that is that is one theory. The other theory is that he removed it and then in the process he kind of like flailed. And in flailing, it looked like tapping. It, it does look like it, but that's not actually what it is. You know, you may, you you be the judge. You, I have, I'd have to go back and look at it again. I've only seen it, you know, when it happened live and then a handful of uh, replay times. You know, it's... Um, I can't, can I say, all right, can I say, perhaps you are different, can I conclusively say uh, he was tapping? Like, uh, because here's here's part of what the situation is. When people say, oh, he tapped, he didn't tap, what are we saying? Like, if we're saying he, he's tapping, tapping has to mean something. Now, I understand, like, there's a sort of colloquial way of describing it. Oh, it's this right here, right? And we all kind of know it when we see it. But here's a clear-cut case where some kind of clearly defined parameters for helping us understand what we're looking at and what is defined as a surrender. And I guess some states probably, by the way, have this. It should be noted. But that that's all that matters when we say, did he tap? So I'll tell you what I'm looking for. One could be you know, a clear uh, signal that someone is surrendering, right? A, a, you know, a, a very aggressive tap, let's say, on the ground sometimes. For example, Chase Sherman tapped to the floor. He didn't tap to the hands of his opponent. Um, but what you're really looking for, for me, is intentionality. Because er he tapped once, or again, either, either on purpose or not, there was one tap. Um, people were like, oh, the, there has to be three for it to be a tap, but that's not really true, like, 
uh, Sonnen versus Silva, Fedor versus Verdun. These are clear one tap cases. Sonnen versus was it Filio? No, Sonnen versus was it Filio the first time? Some shit like that. Who did he? Who was that too? I can't remember at this point. Anyway, you get the idea. It does happen. It is rare, but it's not. And it's certainly rare in jiu-jitsu tournaments. Like when you do see tapping there, it's like very direct. So it's like if you watch if you watch tapping at the black belt level, you know, it's kind of funny, right? Because sometimes people get it and it's, uh, you know, so this really kind of painful like estima lock, you know, where you have to tap immediately to relieve this unbearable fucking pain. Or when, uh, what was her face? When it was Tammy Musumeci got her fucking arm, arm barred all the way behind her own back. You know, shit like that. But usually what you see is a very calculated surrender, like checkmate in chess. You know, where you're seeing two fucking grandmasters and one guy just goes, boop. It's tapping the same way. It's like they know when certain conditions are in place, the, the, you know, the, the jig is up. And they just, you know, very matter-of-factly and directly, like, do And it's all calm, you know. There's, there's obviously a lot of exceptions to that rule, but there's a lot of that that happens. Anyway, where the fuck am I going with this? Um, did he tap? Uh it looked like that in real time. I don't know. You be the judge. It didn't matter in the end. Brandon Royville got his hand raised. He deserved to get his hand raised. He, I thought, was really good about keeping his sensible defense underneath. Underneath, He was very good about always framing, creating frames and separation underneath. He got to his feet, uh, you know, not effortlessly, certainly, but um, it was never not part of the action he was putting together unless he had some kind of really dominant grappling position, which certainly at the end he did. Um, great show by him. He, I think he was saying he wanted to come in and show a little bit of patience, and I think that's exactly what he showed. Split decision, by the way, here. 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. But that was, a, that was a very, you know, did he show like brand new skills he never had before? No. But... Did he show uh, a kind of competitive, strategic application of them that yielded better results? Or it certainly um, yielded the kind of results he wanted under significant duress from a very talented opponent. Yes. Yes, that's and that's that's very much important and something. Anyway, I think I got lost somewhere talking about Chukagian and Maya, but Greco-Roman wrestling appears to be much more important in modern MMA than it ever has been. Uh, how about, uh, was it, uh, was it, uh, Santa, what's he call himself? Santa Slav? <laughs> Is that what he calls himself? Vyacheslav Borshev hits a fucking rib-roasting liver shot to Dakota Bush, puts him down, 347 of the very first round, does a dance, I don't know what it's called, but it was spectacular, just crowned this man already, whereas, I mean... Forget about giving this guy a post-fight bonus, although certainly he is entitled to one. Does, is there a crown that they could give as well that he could walk around with, unironically? Uh, because he has earned it. What a fantastic performance. What a memorable... What, what a way to stick out on a broadcast, is what I would say. Um, and looked good doing it. Looked, looked sensational. Uh, Dakota Bush did not lay down uh, you know, prior to getting his liver deformed. You know he was he was making it as competitive as possible. He was certainly you know trying. Um, great great win. Uh, Bill Algio defeating Joe. I didn't even know how to say this guy's name. Joe, I, I was like, what, is it Joan Derson? Joe Anderson Brito, thirty twenty seven twenty nine twenty eight. And I'm sure I'm saying Brito wrong. Twenty nine twenty eight. Uh, Bill Algio. Bill Algio is scrappy as shit, man. 
That dude is scrappy. What was this, his fourth UFC fight? I remember the first time he fought, let's see, it was, not the Contender Series one. By the way, you know, he fought against was Brandon Lochnan. He lost to Brandon Lochnan on the Contender Series. Dude, Brandon Lochnan's a good-ass fighter. <laughs> like, that's the that's the guy that, we, no, no one ever talks about that. Everyone's always like, the, the trivia question is always, oh, who was the fighter that, you know, won on the Contender Series but didn't because he went for a takedown at the last second? Brendan, Brendan Lockman. But no one ever asked, right, but who's the motherfucker who he beat? Dude, it was Bill Algeo. Bill Algeo is a good fighter. He was a really good fighter. Anyway, uh, he made his debut against Ricardo Lamas, but I remember he was scrappy as shit. Then he put a beating on Spike Carlisle. Uh, Ricardo Hamos is tough, and he got overwhelmed in that one, but he rebounded on this one, and, and Brito kind of took the fight to him in spots, backing him up. But overall, here's another guy using great grappling, great use of the uh, locked hands, you know, making a strategic application out of it. You know, it's just very, very hard to break. And if people don't know how to break it and the guy using it really knows how to off-balance an opponent and redirect them and and move them into, you know, uh, takedown territories if that's what they want or into big strikes or just, you know, and mentally kind of leaning on them. Dude, it's a, it's a brutal, awful place to be. And he had some of that going for him here as, among other skills as well. It was a nice, well-rounded performance. He made it quite memorable at the end. Saying he wanted to fight Giga Chikaze, which, by the way, Giga losing perhaps makes that more likely. I don't think they'll make that fight, but perhaps they might. One never knows. But accusing Giga Chikaze of being uh, a Biden voter, which I thought was like, that's a very, yep, yes, I am watching MMA. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, God bless it, right? Uh, long, may she, long may she last. Hold on. But that's a very MMA moment. Uh, but he looked great. Give him, give him his flowers. He looked great. He is, uh, he is constantly. They didn't. They've, they've, Spike Carlisle was an overmatched opponent, you know, because he's certainly a physically tough and wild, and that's its own kind of challenge. But um, Bill Algeo, to me, has shown, you know, great well-roundedness. Um, can really, you know, this guy can be in gritty, long, drawn-out, complicated difficult grappling slash wrestling slash you know where you're just, every, you're just getting beat up every which way kind of scenarios and he does them for long periods he does them on the feet too where he's constantly pressing in to opponents dude he's a tough guy he's a tough guy that was a solid win and um you know hey memorable call out memorable call out gotta give him credit uh from the prelim card Jamie Pickett defeating Joseph Holmes. Um, the, the prelim card wasn't a lot of fun, I'll be honest. Court McGee got a nice win over Ramez Abrahima, I think as I say. Uh, Brian Kelleher looked pretty good against uh, late replacement Kevin Kroom, who looked huge, by the way. And then TJ Brown got a nice win over uh, Charles Rosa as well. There you have it. First one's in the books. All right, let me take a look at some of these questions that you lot have, and then we will call it a day. All right. Do you think Cater and his team learned from the pressure Max put on him and to a degree tried to replicate it when building a game plan for Giga? Um, perhaps, perhaps, you know, I would have to ask, certainly. But I think strategically it wasn't necessarily... Listen, that's not like... Um, we talked about it on Friday. I brought it up on the show. It's not some grand insight, right? It's just... it's. I won't call it obvious, but... It's just hard to imagine a counter-striking scenario against a forward-moving Giga Chikadze that's going to yield you better results than a difficult early start to backing him up 
but one which once you break through yields significantly good results, right? Uh, it's just a more rational game plan. And so I think they rationally knew that was what was on the table for them to the extent that getting backed up in that way reinforced how powerful that could be. Or perhaps he did learn some technical lessons from that and also, you know, ways a retreating opponent could survive, right? Because he had to go through so many different scenarios where he learned what worked and what didn't. There's no denying an experience like that could be potentially invaluable, if, assuming they're not mentally scarred by it. Um, but I would also just caution that, like, that was the rational insight. The question is not that. The question is, what do you do technically and tactically to pull that off? And I think it needs to be said, Calvin Cater's footwork tonight was just excellent. Consistently excellent footwork. It was very, there's a few times, a few times, hey, a 25-minute fight's going to happen. A few times he's out of position. A lot of times, man, he's right where he needs to be. He's doing excellent work, dude, and he's and he's he's intercepting Giga Chikadze. He's steering him. You know, he was doing really good work in that way. Why did so many people assume Cater was going to lose to Giga just because Max crushed him? The reason why is because a lot of times, I don't think this is a bad question. I actually think it's a really important question. Why do people like me harp on that? Okay. The reason why people like me harp on that is um, you got to be careful about just being an MMA fan is, 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 is difficult, man. It's actually difficult. One, you get charged to the nth degree. But two, you get asked to look at these fighters as these vessels of entertainment. And, you know, over time, if you have this, if you, if you become unmoored from the community, if you're not part of the community, if you're unmoored from it, or you've, you, you consume it at this almost like distant way, you know, uh, I think people can lose sight a little bit about, understandably, I'm not making a moral judgment here. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I think at times, if you're not like, if you're not, if you haven't seen it up close a lot, I just don't think you realize what the toll that these guys, I mean, these guys, it's slow motion maiming. It's slow motion maiming. You know, it's like the worst bear attack spread over 15 years you've ever seen or something like that right you know and so each part you're just you see it incrementally build and you and you do these come at a cost these guys I, I i started the show with it here i am repeating it again they make it look like this is a thing that like if you just really try hard you can get over it no dude these guys are fucking psychotically competitive in ways that the average person off the street cannot even remotely comprehend they just make it look effortless and i really i really if i say nothing else i hope that people really understand that truly appreciate that when you see a beating like what he took against max uh I understand why some people may not necessarily have that instinct to be like, well, you know, it was a bad beating, but, you know, he's young or whatever. That's a fair point as well. That's, and it certainly turned out to be truer than uh, any kind of uh, panic about the, the, the immediate negative results it would have. But I think as well, as just a general posture, if you see someone lose in a five-round fight, and in this particular case, you're like, oh, well, what's the dividing line between when we're concerned and when we're not? Well... How about one that's historically the most significant, at least quantitative beating we've ever seen? 
you know, or just go look at the tape. Dude. I mean, don't you remember there was controversy about when that fight should have been stopped? I think as early as the third round. And you know, so again, and there was and there was debate at the time. Not everyone thought it was a fight that should have been stopped. So that should be clear as well. But just pointing out, it was a really bad beating, and I think, um, man, I've just seen what I've just you know, dude, it's it's. Teddy Atlas has said it. Every time these guys go do this, they are giving a part of themselves to this thing. They they there is they come out a little bit less, you know. And it sounds dramatic and like you know, almost almost hokey and maybe like poetic or something. But it it, it it's not true in the literal sense, I suppose. Or in some ways, even that is true. But certainly, it's a good way to describe the 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 the. the the, the nature of their sacrifice do like they come out of these things man and it's a you know it's the worst car crash you've ever seen over the course of however long their career is you know it's like that's if you added up all the injuries they got and then someone survived that in a car crash they'd be on the there would be like a news special about them on 60 minutes you know what i mean it's like oh uh torn both acls bro- broken femur you know, uh, punctured lung, God knows how many lacerations and twisted ankles and, you know, and uh, now they're getting towards 40, they need a hip replacement and neck and back issues and, and nerve damage, right? If someone survived all of that in a car crash, you'd be like, God damn, dude, God, you know, I don't know what message he's trying to send, but he's definitely trying to keep you around for now. Um. You know, so I just think you got to put yourself to the extent you can. You just got to really try to be as you got to see the humanity in these guys as much as you possibly can. And that's why the last thing I'll say on the fighter pay stuff is that's why the fighter pay stuff matters to me. It's not that the fighter pay makes up for it. Ultimately, ultimately, it's still I think a kind of trade where the house, which is not the fighter, still wins um, and always wins. Um, uh, at least metaphorically, but um, but I think it's the closest you can get to morally absolving yourself for liking it, right? Is making sure that the people doing it get the kind of compensation that they're entitled to. That's that's my belief, basically, in a nutshell. Like, if you're asking, why do I cover fighter pay with perhaps the fervor that I do relative to other issues? It's because... I just think the unique nature of what they do can only be rewarded um, by the maximization of pay. That, in a nutshell, is sort of what I believe. Basically, I mean, there's a there's a broader defense to it, but that's the that is the basic idea. That's the basic. That's the gist. Right, I mean, there's a whole fucking bunch of more of these. Hang on. Uh, best way to nullify forward pressure like cater display tonight other than clinching. Um, well, certainly you could have a retreating game plan. Carlos Condit used a retreating game plan against Nick Diaz. It's not like a retreating game plan ultimately fails. It's just taxing and difficult and it and it and it, and it, uh, and it um, you know and it reduces you, you know. There's a lot of ways to it. Yes, there's footwork ways to absorb pressure take angles but you know in some way you just have to kind of fight you and then again you could sort of fight fire with fire but um there, there, for any kind of issue like this there's always going to be uh um 
God, it's just a terrible answer. But the, the the long story short is, you know, what is the best way? It, the best way depends on what the skill set is of the fighter and what the challenge calls for, what they can reasonably reasonably be asked to pull off. And that's that sounds a little bit unfair of an answer, but that's really the truth. So you know, here, here in this case is what would have been the best way for Giga Chikadze in this case against Calvin Cater. Um, if you could have, if he could have found a way to really lead, I think with the calf kicks, um, um, I, offensively wrestling, wrestling, I thought may have been on the table as well, but that would have been, that would have not have worked. So here again, it, it's it, so the question is not what could someone theoretically do. What did Max Holloway do to take away the forward pressure of Calvin Cater? Right, Calvin Cater wasn't trying to put as much forward pressure on him, but he tried a lot. Max Holloway and his team noticed that when you when you have Calvin Cater starting out, he's jabbing. He's got good footwork. He's setting things up. He's faking. He's fainting. He's moving. But if you throw back, he'll just cover and move away. So what they realized was, okay, soon as soon as uh, he throws, we're going to let him throw. And then as soon as he throws, we're going to bait him to throw, whatever. As soon as he throws, whatever reason, either we baited it or he did it, we're going to then basically just blitz him with four or five punch combinations. We're going to pressure into him. We're going to mix up high, low, left, right, body, head, right? Because he's just going to cover up like this. He doesn't really, he doesn't, like Jose Aldo, what does Jose Aldo do? Jose Aldo is going to slip and then come back and then throw. Now, Max had a different answer for that problem, but you know, you get the idea. Um, so he, he's not offering that kind of defense. He's not offering that kind of pull. Anyway. Um, I forgot where I was even going with this fucking answer. Jesus, I'm off my game tonight. I'm tired. <laughs> uh, the answer is to this. Where was I even going with this? Mm. So disappointing. I'm so sorry about that. I did not take notes today. I took notes the last time. I did not take notes today, and now I'm regretting it. Because there's a bunch of shit I wanted to say. Fuck it. I will come back to it. I apologize to the audience. All right. Uh, the elbows on the kickboxers seem to be one of the more underrated strategies versus crossover kickboxers. That's interesting. I don't know. I, I would say Cater's always been a pretty clever boxer and a very a surprisingly clever striker, too, more than just that. Um, He's had the elbow in the Stevenson fight, right? Or Jeremy Stevens, excuse me, not Stevenson, Jeremy Stevens. He had the elbow in that fight, and where else did he have the elbow? Um, not sure where else, but... Uh, oh, Carlos Condit had it against Tiago Alves. That's another good one. How good is Max? Yeah, Max is fucking good. Um, but that was his answer to the forward pressure. So to answer the forward pressure question once and for all, the answer is... Lots of different ways. There's lots of different ways to do it, but it really kind of depends on the specific blueprint of what you have as a fighter in front of you and what reasonably they can be asked to do given what they're good at against a specific task by the time they get to the UFC. Even after this incredible comeback performance from Cater, do you see him beating Holloway or Volkanovski? Not yet, but uh, dude, as a rebound, you can't ask for more than that this time. Maybe next time in subsequent fights but to do what he did after what happened to him amazing how much of an impact was that first round takedown huge I think what are the chances of seeing Volk and Max five to six times that's a little much who was being t 
How much more impressive does this make what Holloway did? Yeah, again, dude, Holloway is <laughs> pretty pretty special, dude. He's very, very good. And I, I, this is the other part about Holloway. It's like everyone's like, oh, he's, he's skilled as a boxer and whatnot. Dude, I keep going back to this. His team, Eugene Behrman himself has told me multiple times on the record, it should be noted, him and his team might be the best strategists in the game. Certainly some of the very best at the you know top of the fucking food chain level of, of ability. Dude, those guys are clever. You ever notice they don't do any interviews? They don't talk about shit over there, man. I, I constantly, I would, I used to try to ask those guys on there. Great, shouts to them. They're great guys. I get it, man. They're not trying, you know, they, they, they're trying to do their thing. I used to try to get those guys on. And every time I get them on, man, they were nice as shit. And they're very friendly and, and um, they're gracious with their time. But they would never tell me a thing. They would never tell me a thing. They might tell me some of the stuff about their theory on fighting. But they wouldn't. They would never spill their um, the beans. But dude, they're they're very clever. They're very clever, smart people. And so you've got a guy like Max who's got all this ability, who's got all that fighting mojo and spirit, and he's got a team that comes up with a game plan that is, you know, a lot of you think was a winning game plan for his two fights with Volkanovski at a bare minimum has put him exceedingly close and Volkanovski is another one who's got top of the food chain people behind him so you know you're talking about guys who have the bases covered as fighters in ways that you know even most other pro fighters couldn't even imagine was Giga looking past Cater no I don't think so at all What a bigger surprise. Giga unable to adjust his game plan or Cater's ability to absorb the Giga punishment? What's a bigger surprise? For me, I guess I should not have been this way. I was wrong. But I'll say for me, the bigger surprise was Cater being like walking into a lot of punishment to pull that off. That's a hard game plan to pull off. Like You know what it is, man. Dude, sometimes battle plans are very sophisticated. People think like the more sophisticated it is like the more dangerous and like high level. But dude, sometimes that's not really what the challenge is about. Sometimes the challenge is like it's not complex what we have to do strategically. It's just it's just going to be brutal. It's just going to be brutal. There's really no other way to do this. There is no I can smart my way around the punishment and difficulty of this all. No, you cannot. You just have to have a hard, difficult slog. You know. And that's the reality. All right. Uh, what's, uh, I'm not going to get to that one. Some of these questions are a little bit unfair. Cater Ortega next. Whew. I hadn't thought of it. I should have thought of it. Man, that's a great fight. That's a great... Golly, dude. They put an Ortega through the meat grinder. Whew, man. That, that division... These guys are absolutely, <laughs> I keep saying it, but it's so true, man. It's like, oh, you're, here's your reward, Brian Ortega. I mean, and, and he's talented as shit, too. He'll put a beating on Calvin. Dude, here's what I know about Brian Ortega. Win or lose, he's going to put a beating on Calvin Cater. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what it's going to be. Golly, man. These guys, it's, it's just brutal. It's brutal. So it says Calvin's boxing didn't seem as sharp tonight. Um, he was much more interested in a game of kind of speed chess than chess. 
he did have some nice boxing. I thought he had some uppercuts that adjusted some of the kind of like leaning pressure that was showing. He did a good job. I thought, but dude, a lot of what he was doing again was chasing uh, Giga. A lot of it was angling Giga and forcing him to just move and constantly in this sort of state of tension. A lot of it was, you know, pressuring through. So it wasn't designed to yield like the prettiest boxing in that way. Uh, and again, just a very difficult game plan, a very simple game plan, but an insanely difficult one. I mean, there was more to it with the way in which he approached and he was setting angles. Like, I don't want to say that there was no thought process to it. Please don't misunderstand me, but you get the idea. Part of it was like, you're just going to get hit a lot by Giga and you have to accept that. And he did. He accepted it fully and it worked. That's impressive. Uh, I figured the high guard of Cater would leave him ripe to the body for the taking. When Giga stopped kicking, did he seal his fate? Yeah. But I think part of the reason why he stopped kicking was because he just could never set his feet under constant duress. All right. Well, I apologize for all the times that I meandered into a state of nothingness. Surely that is worthy of being lampooned, and I'm I'm sure that I will. But um, I want to thank you guys for watching. Like the video. Hit subscribe. Uh, if you have an email for me, you can shoot me an email, lukethomasnews at gmail.com. I try to respond to everyone. I don't always get the opportunity to do that, but right now is a good time. Um, so there you go. All right. Love you. Um, let's see. No show on Monday, but Monday resume review will be out, which is going to be great. And then Tuesday, we have another video for you that you're going to love that's going to set the tone for uh, UFC 270 fight week, basically. Well, also resume review might do that as well. I guess we'll see. But you get the idea. So Monday and Tuesday, fresh content headed your way. Yeah? Should be a good time. Thank you so much for spending some time with me tonight. Again, apologies for meandering. Should have taken some, no taken some notes. I, I did it last time. I forgot this time. I will not do that. Make that mistake again. So I appreciate you sticking with me. I hope you enjoyed the fights. Hope you enjoyed watching this. Until next time, get some sleep. Bye, all.